as we continue our study in Philippians, struggling well the joy of the Christian journey, we come now to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And it's a pretty big, uh, um, I guess the word would be disappointment that we can't gather together for this moment to talk about these verses because they're among the most important in this entire letter. Indeed, I have sought to make it my life, uh, what goes on in these few verses, uh, five of them. Um, just to give you a little hint of that, I'll show you a little picture here. Um, that's my wedding ring. Um, and it is inscribed on the inside, Philippians 3.10. Uh, I don't really want to tell you how many years ago that was, but it was over 40 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and yet that verse continues to be deep in my heart. And what I want to do this morning is... It's just so hard to think about how we might be able to comprehend these verses without being together. And so we need to ask the Lord's help, don't we, for that. Would you pray with me before we read the scripture that God might do something unusual in our lives as we study his word together? Heavenly Father, open our hearts to hear your word to make these verses our own. They are Paul's testimony of the riches he has in an intimate relationship with you. And we would humbly pray that you would unpack these verses by your Holy Spirit so that we may possess them and make them our own mission as well. For Christ our King, and His glory, we pray it. Amen. I'd like to ask if you would stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Paul has just talked about how he doesn't have any reason for confidence in the flesh, and in fact he says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. And now we come to verses 8 through 12. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that 
I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Please have a seat. This morning we're going to look at three items. Uh, One is that struggling well means counting as loss all things except Christ. Then we will look at struggling well means gaining Christ and being found in him. So there's a loss and then there's a gain. And then thirdly, struggling well means living with the end in mind. Living with the end in mind. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Struggling well means counting as loss all things except Christ. Paul has said in verse 7, and we looked at it last week, that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Uh, Think of all the things that we consider as gains. Um, To struggle well, everything that we consider as gains must be counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Um, That's a tall order because there are many things that we just assume are okay. You know, whether it's the fact that we have shelter or food or health or clean water or good meaningful relationships or a good job or a nice house. Take those away and you'll find out how much you're counting on them. Take any of the things in your life away and then you'll realize oh, wait a minute, I think I might have been counting on that more than I thought I was. We can count it all as loss when it's not lost. (laughs) But let us lose it, and then we'll somehow discover that maybe it mattered more to us than we thought. Paul goes on to say here in verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss. Everything. This phrase, indeed, It's translated indeed there in verse 8. It means in fact. He's saying this is reality for me. Not only is this so, but it is more so for me. It is really truly the way I live, Paul says. Why? Because there's something far more valuable than all the things that he had counted as gain. Something of surpassing worth. Do you see it there in verse 8? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want you to notice the personal nature of Paul's writing here. To be sure, he's writing to the church and there's corporate implications of these truths for the church. But struggling well is also personal, isn't it? And Paul says... Personally, as for him, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Jesus actually invited us to do this in his parable of the pearl of great price in Matthew 13. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying the same thing that Paul is saying is, 
I'm it. I'm the pearl. <laughs> Sell everything. Get rid of everything. Count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, this phrase, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, it doesn't just mean knowing about him. It doesn't just mean saying, yes, I made a commitment to him at one point in my life. It doesn't even mean that I have a continuing relationship with him. It means having an intimate, moment-by-moment relationship with him who is above all things of surpassing worth. The word know in the Bible quite often is the language of intimacy, of closeness, of nearness of relationship. And Paul says, I will count everything as loss. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may know Christ. He says here, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he uses those terms carefully. Christ, he's the Messiah King. Jesus, he's the Savior. My, I have a personal relationship. Lord, he's God of the universe. Struggling well means counting all things as loss except for Christ. Uh, Paul says then also here in verse 8, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. This isn't just a theoretical thing for Paul. Uh, he has suffered the actual loss of all things for Christ's sake. Now that includes the items up in verses 5 and 6, um, you know, the status he had as a Pharisee and all of that. Of course he lost that. But he's in prison. <laughs> he's indeed suffered the loss even of his freedom. He says, I have counted the loss, I've suffered the loss of all things. It is a, it is a suffering. That it isn't just a matter of making a mental exchange. It also involves a weight of pain involved here. We can't dismiss that. Now, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exchange that needs to be made. It's an exchange that ought to be made. It's an exchange that is way better to make. But don't think that there isn't a cost to it. There is. There is a measure of suffering in doing so. Now, he goes on to say here in verse 8, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, this word rubbish is one that has quite a bit of controversy surrounding it. Uh, it's translated, I believe, in the King James Version as dung. Um, it has kind of the... Uh, I, I had a Greek professor tell me that there's a Greek papyrus of some sailors using sailor language about birds flying overhead and dropping their, the Greek word here is scubula, on them. And they shout with their shaking their fists at the, at the birds, scubula. You know, so it may have some rather uh, uh, provocative 
even profane nature to the language here. Others suggest that no, the word is also used to translate rubbish and garbage and it could be just, Paul's just describing that. It, it really doesn't matter. What he's saying is that everything about his life that he's counted on, he's counting as absolute something to be gotten rid of, something that needs to be turned away from, something that needs to be rejected and not even have around you, not even in the house, right? Who wants to hang on to your garbage? You know, anybody that collects garbage in their home is, has some mental imbalance, right? Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish to the gain that I may gain Christ. We struggle well when we come to the place of resignation of all things and the treasuring of only Christ. We struggle well when we come to the place of resignation of all things and the treasuring of only Jesus Christ. So can you say, I lost my job, but I know Christ. I lost my marriage, but I know Christ. I lost my children, but I know Christ. I lost my church, but I know Christ. I lost my health, but I know Christ. I lost my reputation, but I know Christ. I lost my family, but I know Christ. The, the loss of things that I may know Christ. Struggling well means counting as loss all things except Christ. Now, let's go to the second half of verse 8 through 10. Struggling well means gaining Christ and being found in him. We'll find out what that means here in a moment. There are twin aims here at the end of verse 8. Eight. First, that I may gain Christ, and then the second is at the beginning of verse 9, and be found in him. The first aim, that I may gain Christ, the second, that I might be found in him. Let's look at what they mean. The first one, that I may gain Christ, means that he's all that matters to us. The true gain is Christ, and Paul is suggesting that the only way to gain Christ is to lose everything else. This second phrase found in verse 9, being found in him, means that he has done something for us that no one else could do, and what he did for us should matter more to us than anything in this world. So let's look at what gaining Christ and being found in him produces, and it will help us better understand what these two phrases mean, gaining Christ and being found in him. Verse 9, in relationship to God, gaining Christ and being found in him means that a righteousness not from ourselves, but from Jesus Christ himself, puts us in right with God. That there is, in fact, a righteousness that comes to us because of what Jesus did for us. 
Now, there's two ways, there's really only two ways in the universe for you to be right with God. One is you have your own righteousness. That is, you somehow measure up to God's righteous decrees. Those are your, that, that's one way. <laughs> uh, based on the law, based on our obedience to some standard, right? That would be theoretically a way to be right with God. However, zero out of everyone in the universe <laughs> has attained that. It's a O4, you know, can't be done. Zero. And so that's why Paul says here, being found in him, and the very next word after being found in him is the word not. It's placed in an emphatic position. To say not, it's, it's almost like he's capitalizing the word N-O-T, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, comes from the obedience of something that's right, that's good. I can't have that. But instead, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What this righteousness is, the right and true righteousness, is a righteousness that's sourced out of God himself. Do you see? It's the righteousness from God. Now, there are a lot of people that get confused on this. They think that their righteousness is sourced in their faith. No, your righteousness is not sourced in your faith. Faith is the way in which we access that righteousness, but it is the righteousness from God. It comes through faith in Christ. That's a means by which we access it, but it's a righteousness that is sourced in God. God gives it to us as a gift. What is Paul saying about righteousness? He's saying, I'm done with my own righteousness. Even where it was based on truly good things like the law, I'm done with that. There's a real righteousness that comes, not from me, but from God. And that righteousness is accessed by faith in Christ and what he did for me at the cross. Faith is not the source God is, but I access that righteousness by faith in Christ. So, that's what it means to gain Christ and to be found in him. That we have a righteousness now, a standing with God of closeness and intimacy, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So that transforms our life ambitions and goals. In terms of our life goals, gaining Christ and being found in him produces a profound reorientation of our ambitions. Have you ever, were you ever asked the question when you were a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And some of us are still trying to figure that out. What do I want to be, right? And it's a good question to ask yourself, no matter what age you are, what do you want to be? Because Paul answers that question for himself here in verse 10. What do you want to be? What is your ambition? Paul's had been his family pedigree, knowing who he was as a person of Israel, 
uh, as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for right, uh, um, as for the law, righteousness under the law, blameless, all those things back in verses 5 and 6, having people look at him and say, now there's a real performer, there's a successful person. That's what, he, well, that's what his former ambition had been. But now, look at how it changes. And again, notice the personal nature of this. Paul says in verse 10, that I may know him. The very first ambition of the Apostle Paul is to know God. Can you say, no matter what happens to you, no matter what comes, you can say, well, this may be a horrible thing. It may be a suffering thing. It may be a, it may be a painful thing. But I will come to know God. Paul says, that's my ambition, to know Him. That's intimacy. Secondly, to know the power of his resurrection. To know the power of his resurrection. You know, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the future of humanity. We will be raised to eternal life because he was raised. That's the only basis on which we have the hope of resurrection is that Jesus was raised. And the resurrection of Christ changes our present as well if we're believers in Jesus. We can rejoice in the midst of suffering because of the power of His resurrection. So we live now in sure hope of a resurrection future. We live now in suffering. Yes, we do suffer here in this world but with rejoicing because Christ's resurrection power is at work in our hearts right now. Paul could say all over Philippians, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice, even while he was in prison. Why? Because he could presently experience the power of Christ's resurrection knowing that the future was assured also because of his resurrection. What a joy. Now, quite often, we have um, uh, feel great affection for those two ideas, right? I want to know him, yes. Believers will all say yes. I want to know the power of his resurrection. We all say yes. There's a third one here that might be a little more tough for us to wrap our arms around. It says, verse 10, and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. To know the fellowship, that's the word share, the fellowship, the koinonia of his suffering. Somehow being united with Christ in his suffering. This is Paul's ambition for life? Yes, it is. Now, our suffering is not like Christ's sin in that we are not paying for our sins or anybody else's. So our suffering is very different than Christ's suffering in that aspect. But our suffering is like Christ's 
in that he joined the human race. And in his joining of the human race, that means that the suffering that we all experience in this present world is an experience that we have a koinonia with Jesus. We share it with Jesus. He suffered just like we suffer. And what this means is, Jesus Christ knows what we are going through. Not just in theory, but in real human living. In our suffering, we have a fellowship with and a participation in the suffering of our master and king who suffered too. We all feel, Jesus included, that frustration and anxiety of a sin-cursed world. Now, to be sure, the frustration and anxiety that Jesus experienced, remember he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, um, he shouted, Lazarus, come forth, and all that. To be sure, his is of a different category than ours because he's God, okay? But know this, we share something with Jesus because he became a human being. And what we share at least in part, is that we share the experience of the curse of Adam in our experiences. Now, this leads to rejoicing. Look at verse, uh, not because suffering feels good, but because the suffering of the believer is a true evidence of our knowing him in intimacy. So, In other words, Paul is going to continue to rejoice even though he's sharing in Christ's sufferings. Why? It's not because, oh, give me more suffering because that feels good. No, he would prefer to not have suffering. But the suffering of the believer, when we suffer, it is a true evidence of our knowing Jesus in intimacy. So let's look at the goal of it all. The goal of it all, end of verse 10, becoming like him in his death. This phrase often gets ignored in this passage, and I think it may be the very center of it, the very point of it all, becoming like him in his death. The reason I say that is that he uses the word morphe here, which means form. We saw that word used back in verse 7, Well, verses 6 and 7. Who, though Jesus was in the morphe, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the morphe, the form of a servant. So, form of, a God, form of God and form of a servant is, is what Jesus did. Had the form of God took on the form of a servant. And now... Paul uses this same word, only he compounds it with the word with. Um, Assummorphe is the word. It means form with, formed with. And what he means here, look at this, becoming formed with him in his death. Formed with him in his death being formed with Christ in his death. Paul uses this to link his life to the life of Christ. We, 
you and I who are believers, have this same link with Jesus ourselves. Struggling well means gaining Christ and being found in Him, being formed with Him in His death. Now, verses 11 and 12, the last point. Struggling well means living with the end in mind. Paul has an end in view. He says, if, and it's possible. He's not saying here that by any means possible, like it's somehow in doubt. What he means is, from a human standpoint, if you're counting on me, I wouldn't make it. But I know I'm going to make it because of someone who's done something for me. That any means possible, and he knows the means, which is the death of burial and resurrection of Jesus, somehow I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Life with Christ forever, that's what it's all about. He's not expressing that the outcome is in doubt here. Rather, he's saying that this is the end that I have in mind. It stays in Paul's mind. It doesn't leave Paul's mind. The only doubtfulness in Paul's mind is the timing of when it's going to happen. He doesn't know when, but he knows it is going to happen. Struggling well means living with that kind of end in mind. Um, But life still has to be lived, doesn't it? You know, we can all be theoretically, oh yeah, I'm all for that. But then the next day when you have to deal with the everyday things of life, it can be tough. Paul acknowledges that right there in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this. I haven't obtained the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already am already perfect. Life still has to be lived, so we must think with realism here that we will face real problems. They aren't just theoretical ones. There is a sense of alienation that every one of us experiences when we suffer. We feel alone. We feel the anxiety of it. We say, how long, O Lord? And yet, there is a joy because struggling well means living with the end in mind. So, let's not pretend that we have it all together. Paul doesn't. Let's not pretend that we can get it all together by some personal effort. Let's not even pretend that God's somehow going to do some magic and make it all well and it'll never happen, that anything will ever happen bad to us. It doesn't work that way. But rather, what Paul says here is in living real everyday life, he says, I press on. That means he continually exerts himself I press on to make it my own. What does that mean? It means that he takes these principles and he wants them to be so deeply ingrained in his life that when something really difficult comes to him, he responds almost automatically in the right, ba- in the right manner. I press on to make it my own, to make these things my possession. And you want to know why he does that? Because Christ Jesus, he says, has made me his own. And that's never going to get taken away. He knows to whom he belongs. So in the course of life, when the rotten things happen one after another, what he's going to do is, is say, Lord, help me to press on into this because I know I belong to Christ. I know these things are true, now help me 
live it out. It's already done. Now we live life out. Now, as we come to the end of this message, I want to review again that in verses 7 and 8, Paul has said struggling well means counting as loss, all things except Christ. He goes on to say that struggling well means gaining Christ and being found in Him. And then he says it means living with the end in mind. Too much of our lives as Christians is lived without even a thought of the items in verses 8 through 12. Too much of my own life is lived just trying to figure out how to make things work without a thought of these things, of counting loss for the sake of Christ, of seeking to gain to know Christ, and living with the end in mind. Oh, it's great for a Sunday morning. How's it going to work for you in Monday afternoon? And we so easily distance ourselves from these beautiful truths There's a book that our pastors have just finished reading called Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. There were many good things in the book, but one of the difficult and painful things for me to read in the book is how there was such a focus on vocation and me rather than worship and glory. That the whole point of the, in, in some ways of the book, is trying to figure out how can we help young people to see how relevant and virtuous and advantageous to their own lives knowing Jesus is. Now, I don't dispute that it's not advantageous and helpful. Paul's just saying here, that's not the point of life. You've missed the whole point. So it doesn't matter whether you find out if your faith and your work are inseparable or that you help others discover who God made them to be or that you identify yourself as a maker or a creator or that you feel confident about the future, all of the things that are emphasized in the book. No, no, no. Those things are not untrue. They just aren't the most important things. When life comes and hits you and knocks you down, Those things, knowing what your vocation should be, is not going to sustain your faith. Knowing that you're a wonderful creator made in the image of God is not going to sustain your faith. But knowing Him, the power of His resurrection, and sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, count Everything is lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, suffering the loss of all things that I may gain Christ, be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ and the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, these are things that are unique about Christianity and they are true truth, things that when the foundations give way in your life are a bedrock of principle that you can hold on to.
I want to conclude my message by bringing up a couple of ways in which Paul's personal testimony here in chapter 3 is very much using the same language that he uses in describing the life of Jesus. Let's look at this contrast here. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, I count everything as loss that I may gain Christ. Jesus, it says, being found in human form, he humbled himself. Paul says that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. He says of Jesus that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says that I might become like him in his death. Paul says of Jesus, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And he says of himself that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see how in chapter 3 Paul has attached his life to Jesus Christ? And he says, as much as lies in me, I'm going to press on to make it my own. I'm going to hang on as, as hard as I can because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Would you pray with me? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're saddened that we haven't been able to gather together today but we pray at the same time that your spirit would be awakening in us these truths that would change not just how we're thinking here on a Sunday morning, but would change us Monday and Tuesday, <laughs> all through the week, that these would be things that would be the bedrock of our confidence in you. And I pray that where there's someone who's feeling the weakness because they've got some losses and they want to hang on to the things that they've lost, that they would be able to somehow let go of it and to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Lord, that we may as Paul has suggested throughout this letter, derive our joy and rejoicing not in our circumstances, not in the things that we have as gains, but rather in knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Help that person who's struggling the most that's in the sound of my voice. Be their strength. Holy Spirit, empower them for these truths. Lord, for those who have never put their faith in Christ, they are absolutely rudderless. Would you help them, O oh God, to see that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that only through Christ will they have a righteousness that will fit them for heaven and that they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin by what you did at the cross, grant to me your eternal life.
Lord, we pray these things that we may bring you great glory. Lord, we're not interested first and foremost in seeing how our faith works in this world. We do want to know that, but that's not what our aim is. Our aim is to please you and to know you and to glorify you. Oh God, awaken us. In Jesus' name, amen.